0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to Law Junkie Show. This last week in the Elizabeth Holmes trial, the prosecution rested. Elizabeth Holmes was called to the stand. We'll get to that. This is also the week that a lot of people paying close attention to this trial say that Things turned in the direction of the defense, and the prosecution started to look really, really weak. Can you explain what happened?
1: Well, it's interesting. So let's go back for a moment. The prosecution holds the burden of proof, right, beyond a reasonable doubt here in a criminal case. And the charges are wire fraud, And it's wire fraud against the investors. It's wire fraud against the doctors. And it's wire fraud against the patients. And then there's conspiracy to commit wire fraud as well. So the prosecution must prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And they have that burden to provide the evidence, the testimonial evidence, and they have to present it at trial to the jury. So regardless of what you have heard, in the audience about Elizabeth Holmes, about Theranos, what you've read in the Wall Street Journal or in Fortune magazine or Forbes or anything that you've seen or what you've heard here on Law Junkie Show. That's irrelevant to what the jury is deciding on because they must hear what is being presented to them and only the evidence that is presented to them in the courtroom. And then they have to apply that against the jury instructions, which they'll receive at the very end, which they haven't gotten yet. But only the evidence in the courtroom can be considered when analyzing whether or not the facts match what the law requires to convict somebody. So the prosecution must tell the story of what she did. We've gone through those elements before in earlier episodes of Law Junkie Show. But again, the most important one is the intent element that she meant to defraud investors. She meant to defraud the doctor. She meant to defraud the patients. So I think on the investor side that there is evidence that was presented during the trial by the prosecution that shows that she maybe misled people, that she maybe wasn't always truthful. Did that rise to the level of intending, meaning knowingly defrauding, the, the, the intent to present false information to cause them to invest their money in the company, knowing that she couldn't produce. So there was some evidence that was presented, but when we get to the doctors and the patients, That was more this week uh, in the trial. When we get there, I look at that evidence that the prosecution put forth with these. Now, of course, we weren't in the courtroom to see every single document that was presented, but of what we've seen from the reports, and this is that conversation again about having cameras and audio from the courtroom so everybody can know what's going on because it's a limited number of people that can be in the courtroom. But from what we have heard and what I have heard, First off, one of the witnesses just they completely cut out because we don't exactly know why. Why did why did the prosecution after deposing a witness, meaning that this is what happened before the trial is they interview. You have the interview and and the defense has an interview with a potential witness. The prosecution had this patient. I can't remember the patient's name on the witness list. And as they came to trial, said, no, we're not going to put him on the stand. That's a problem. And then the patients that they did put on the stand, did something actually bad happen to these patients that they put on this? No. They talked about how they had repeated series of tests. They talked about how um, they had to go back and get additional tests. And then the doctor testified about it saying, yes, I didn't trust the test. So they had a a multitude of other other tests. But then the defense on the cross-examination said, "Um." You, How many tests did you do? You Wait, you ordered hundreds of tests from Theranos? If it was such a problem, why are you ordering hundreds of tests from Theranos and you only have this one example of a patient where you had a problem with the tests? I, I'm, I'm struggling with what the prosecution has done in this trial. I don't see a clear story told. I don't see sufficient evidence rising. I mean, it might because, again, I'm not seeing all of it. But of what I have seen, I think that they're struggling and that they closed their case in chief, they rested on their case in chief this week, um, is going to be a problem for this jury uh, if you're looking to convict Elizabeth Holmes.
0: What evidence did you see that you mentioned earlier that made it look very cloudy in terms of Elizabeth Holmes intending to deceive people?
1: Now, are you talking about the uh, investors, the doctors, the yes. patients? Any of them. OK, so on the investor side, the, the, the challenge that you're going to run into is there are pieces of evidence. Again, I, I want to be very clear on the investor side. There were pieces of evidence that showed, you know, like the Pfizer logo, like the shearing plow logo that is deceitful unless the defense can present uh, a witness who will say, no, I gave Theranos and or Elizabeth Holmes' permission to use our logo, which we haven't heard yet because the defense case in chief is still ongoing right now. But absent those, there were deceptions that definitely took place. But here's the problem that I have with some of these pieces of evidence. Um. So, so hang on a second. So we know that she said, here's what's happening. Oh, we project our sales to be this. And they weren't. They were... Hundreds of thousands of dollars instead of tens of millions of dollars that year. By the way, have you ever heard of a sales forecast being inaccurate? Yes. Um, Have you ever heard of somebody saying, uh, you know, using sales puffery? Yes. Have you ever heard of somebody using somebody else's logo without their permission? Probably not. So that is where maybe on the investor's side, there were some deceitful practices that had been done. But what we run into is... It's not clear. We didn't have an investor come forth and say, Elizabeth Holmes not only lied to me, I have a piece of evidence being an internal email or something else. I have not heard this. An email or a text message between her and Sonny Balwani that says, make sure to lie to these people. Did you hear of any evidence like that? I mean, I didn't. So, We're lacking the piece that closes that circle that shows I presented false information to an investor and I knew it was false and I knew it would deceive them and lead them to the place of investing money in something I knew I couldn't produce. I haven't heard any evidence in this trial yet where Elizabeth Holmes said, I knew I couldn't produce this product. We heard the lab manager One of the lab managers saying, well, I mean, the thing was a disarray and I didn't like this disarray unequal to intentionally knowingly lying about everything. I mean, it's just I can't do this. It'll never be done. This is the Silicon Valley story. How many massive blow ups have happened in Silicon Valley with investors investing tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars where it was a man in charge of it and we didn't hear about criminal suits against them? This is something that I start questioning whether or not it's either because of super powerful investors, again, we had Larry Ellison, you've got George Shultz and his family, Henry Kissinger and his family, his lawyer invested $6 million, I believe it was $6 million in in Theranos. You had really rich, really powerful people, you had a young female uh, in charge. If it was a man, if it was an older man who had done this, I'm starting to wonder if we would be facing the same situation. Because again, I haven't seen evidence yet. And I, again, I, I haven't seen everything. I'm not sitting in the courtroom every day seeing everything the jury sees. They're maybe seeing things that I haven't seen. I, I, I promise you they're seeing things I haven't seen. But of what I've seen, I'm finding it hard to see that we're proving beyond a reasonable doubt That Elizabeth Holmes intended to defraud investors, intended to defraud doctors and patients when what we have seen presented includes her endlessly pushing for the technology to become more viable, more accurate, as opposed to her being like, you know what, this ain't happening, guys, but let's just keep pushing forward because somebody's already invested in us. I haven't heard that.
0: So, after 29 witnesses were called, we never heard from some of the most high profile investors and the whistleblower like uh, Tyler Schultz, Henry Kissinger, we did not hear from, or David Boyce, one time Theranos attorney. Why, why not? Why were they not called to the stand?
1: Well, so this again is to, uh, to the way I look at this case is demonstrating the weakness in the prosecution's case. So look, they had a couple of years to put this case together. A couple of years. They interviewed every one of these witnesses that were in what's called, again, a deposition. It's under oath. It's recorded. There's a court reporter there. The attorneys for both sides are there. They're talking. They're asking questions of these potential witnesses and out of those interviews, the prosecution and, and the and the documentary evidence that that they put together as well, the prosecution said, "I have enough to go after Elizabeth Holmes." And in their witness list, they had people like you said. Uh, I believe Henry Kissinger was on the witness list. Um, was Boyce on the witness list? Yeah, he was. So bo- the Boyce is a separate topic where we can address. But Henry Kissinger. You put him on the stand because a little bit like General Mattis, you put him on the stand because he's got weight. He's very serious, uh, well-regarded, well, unless you're anti-war. He's a well-regarded individual and, and who has a long history of great respect uh, that he earns just sitting on the stand. I would want to put him on the stand if he was going to say, I was told false information about Theranos, as opposed to... Like a lot of investors who lose money on bad investments, I was hoping that it was going to turn into a $10 billion company. So I invested $10 million for it to turn into $100 million. I was hoping for a tenfold return. Guess what? It didn't pan out. Like nine out of ten companies in Silicon Valley. Um, They didn't put Henry Kissinger on the stand because his testimony wasn't going to be strong enough to add to the story that she promised something. She lied about it and she knowingly lied about it. Again, she had to know that what she was saying was false as opposed to, this is what I'm hoping to build with the company. So Henry Kissinger not taking the stand. A bunch of these other witnesses not taking the stand, I don't think bodes well. Um, David Boyce, let's talk about that one separately. Anytime you call the corporate attorney to the stand, you're going to run into numerous privilege problems. So as somebody... Been general counsel for a company before. Uh, I've done this type of work. And if I'm talking about anything legal in nature and providing that advice to the company, it's called privilege, meaning you don't have a right because I'm the attorney, it's attorney client privilege. You don't have the right for me to talk about it. You don't get to produce that at trial. So if there's an email, and, and those turn into big battles. So often, unless uh, there's really damning evidence. There, there are often problems with calling the corporate counsel to the stand. So that one I, I don't view as as big of a problem.
0: So why Parloff? Why Roger Parloff and the emphasis on this witness um, and his notes and getting his, all of his notes related to his articles about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos? So-
1: so we did hear from a number of the investor witnesses that they relied on. I think it was Betsy DeVos's uh, family fund. Uh, that person testified that uh, they relied on Mr. Parlov's uh, article I believe it was in, For- yeah, in Fortune magazine. And they relied on his work. So if I'm the investor and I relied on his work, well, now we want to analyze his work. He's a journalist. Was he lied to? Did What did he publish? Um, and so th- that would be why his testimony was so important, was his, um, he alleges that Ms. Holmes deceived him and lied to him about a number of different things in his article, which is why he published a whole separate follow-up article basically disavowing his first uh, big Theranos article that all these investors said they relied on.
0: So Elizabeth Holmes did take the stand this week. Her demeanor was reported to be calm and confident, and she took off her mask, made eye contact with the jury, spoke in her voice, which is apparently her true speaking voice. She uh, talked about the early days of her ideas, what led to developing Theranos to the extent that it was developed as a company. And as recently as last week, there were law professors, experts on this case, and legal experts saying, uh, I can't imagine a lawyer would let her testify. Defense would think long and hard before putting her on the stand, even though the defense kind of hinted at that early on, or it was filed somewhere, so there's no... but. Then still speculation as recently as last week that no way would she take the stand. But in a lot of people's opinion, of course she would take the stand. How could she not? She's great at this.
1: So again, normally uh, you don't want a defendant to take the stand. It's very dangerous that they might say something that turns the jury against them. They might say something about a piece of evidence that contradicts prior testimony um, it, it's just very dangerous 90 plus percent of the time you don't want to put a defendant on the stand this is one of those rare instances where I believe putting the defendant on the stand <clears throat> is to the benefit of the defense she was so she was va- she is vaccinated she went into court she was able to take her mask off she was able to talk to the jury and do it in her voice that she has. Uh, I don't know if she is manipulating her voice or if she was talking normally, but I believe Miles Cohen, who is covering the trial quite a bit on Twitter, uh, Miles G. Cohen is who he is. Um, He talked about that she took the stand and she was confident. And this is something, this is a person who was able to convince wealthy billionaire types to hand over essentially hundreds of millions of dollars into a company on this wild promise that had never been done before. And she was going to revolutionize healthcare. Remember that she is a masterful communicator. You can, you can hate her all you want, but she convinced these people to to put the money in. So in this case, now she's talking to the jury she gets to tell her side of the story and she can say, this is what I believed. This is what I wanted to do. And she gets to look them in the eye and she gets to look at the juror, at the, not just the jury, the attorneys, the judge, the courtroom and tell her story. I, this is one of those rare times where if I'm the attorney, I wanted her from day one to take the stand. So she has now told her story. Now we haven't gotten to the cross-examination from the prosecutors yet so it is quite possible that this prosecution team can trip her up, can get her to say things, to get her to, to contradict herself. So there is still a danger here. But at least that first afternoon on the stand, I, I, I think it was a, a big benefit to the defense.
0: One of the concerns uh, would be that she, when the prosecution does cross-examine her, that she would be asked questions To which she does not know the answer. But couldn't that actually also work to her advantage?
1: Of course. I mean, so anytime, uh, in this case, prosecutor on cross-examination may ask about, let's talk about, you know, um, Henry Kissinger. So, Mr. Kissinger, when you sent him this document with the Pfizer logo, um, did you knowingly send the, you know, did you send this document to Mr. Kissinger? Yes, I did. Um, when you sent the document to Mr. Kissinger, did you know that this document was, you, you didn't have permission from Pfizer to use their logo? No, I thought that um, Sonny had reached out to their team and had gotten permission. Had you ever seen any evidence of that, uh, Ms. Holmes, that he got permission from Pfizer for this? Yeah, I believe that there was a text message. Well, do you have that text message in evidence? No, I don't. Maybe we maybe we talked about it on a phone call. Do you normally do that on a phone call, or do you normally have that in? Right. Re- mean, mm-hmm. This is. I, I just think this case w- depended on the prosecution putting forward a clear, linear series of pieces of evidence that showed she couldn't do this. She knew she couldn't a- ever make this thing work. She, ma- she lied about what was happening. Here are the pieces of evidence. Here's the testimony that does it, that supports that. It had to happen there because if you didn't do it there, even tripping her up on defense in in a case like this, I don't think is going to rise to the level for the jury to say it was beyond a reasonable doubt. Again, for all the people who like to comment and say she's guilty, she should be in jail and maybe she is, but it's incumbent on the prosecution to provide that evidence in the courtroom to the jury, in a manner that they can understand. And if they're not able to pull that off, then she'll be found not guilty, regardless of how guilty she might actually be in the colloquial sense. But remember, not guilty does not equal innocent. So there is a difference. Guilty in in our court of law means that the prosecution provided the evidence in a manner that the jury understood to be beyond a reasonable doubt.
0: And if anything, last week it was shown that she, in more cases than not, deferred to her lab technicians, to her employees, and relied on them to give her information and then, uh, you know, abided by their opinion.
1: Right. So if if, if the lab people, the, the technical people never said to her, and again, I haven't heard that this piece of evidence was introduced yet. So if the lab technician said, this is impossible, Elizabeth, we can't make this work. And Elizabeth responded, shut up, get back to work. You know, I don't care what you have to say. I, I didn't see that evidence. I didn't hear that evidence yet. And maybe I'm again, I'm not in the jury's position. I'm not in the jury box. I'm not there to see and hear every single piece of evidence. If the lab technician had done that, we much clearer get to the intent standard. Um, and again, we can infer intent in so many different ways. But here you're talking about misleading so many different people who have so much knowledge. Again, that's why the fact that most of the investors are these very sophisticated. And this is why the defense focused on such sophisticated investors. These are professional Professional investors, these aren't, it's not me and you. I'm not a professional investor. I could, I could be misled probably pretty easily uh, when it comes to this stuff. But professional investors, the, uh, the ability to deceive them is much harder. And that's why the defense was so focused on that.
0: Thank you for listening to Law Junkie Show. Please subscribe to us on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on, follow us on social media. And you can visit us at info at lawjunkieshow.com to send us a message. Go to lawjunkieshow.com. Fill out the uh, contact form there. We'll see you next time.
1: Disclaimer. Law Junkie Show, including its guests and hosts, are not giving out legal advice but discussing general legal issues. Law Junkie Show does not guarantee that the legal issues discussed are fully accurate and it's not specific to whatever legal issues you may be experiencing. None of this advice is to be acted upon in your situation. Please seek legal advice from a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction for your individual legal matter.